No wonder I'm so hot. I was wondering why I'm so warm. It's that you're sitting under that spot. I don't know. It's nicer in here, though, because I missed last week with the first out there, and I about froze What's like being up there on the platform during, like, on the weekends? It is hot up there. I mean, it's really hot. Because you're under the, the most intense state. I'm on? Okay. Thank you. Okay, Marty's in place, so we're ready to go. He's anchoring the back of the room back there, him and Skip. All right. Verse 9. Any questions, by the way? Anybody think of anything you want to ask? No? Okay. Yes? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a real example this past week, but just how important it is to be aware of who's in your community. Because you can have community, and if everybody's going through a hard time, like your perspective can just like keep on sliding down the slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great example. Great example. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, Job had community. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Part of that is is a, is a process that we go through. You know, I mean, over time there are people that are in our extended community, and maybe they're they 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 may not be over time. I mean, we go through different phases of life. And, you know, so yeah, that's a good. Good observation. Anyone else? Mm hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of long-term friends that, you know, we, we go through phases together. You know, we're still friends. And when we get together, there's nothing lost there. But, you know, different seasons and, you know, we go to different churches. So, you know, it's, it's hard to, to keep it together with all the things. I mean, I only have two kids. They have four. So, that, you know, that makes a big difference. Anyone else? Other comments, thoughts? Okay, verse 9. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. What, uh, 
what God is telling us here through David is that um, we might look into God's eyes or look into the eyes of those that are leading us and we might even get the instruction, get the direction, but we don't necessarily heed it. We don't necessarily put it into practice. And more often than not, for all of us, it comes down to usually one of two things. Uh, well, one of three, I better say. Fear, stubbornness, pride. Fear, stubbornness, and pride. And I, I, I'm always amazed at all of us as human beings we actually sometimes have a fear of that which is good. That which we know is going to be good for us. And, and if we're talking about perhaps coming out of addictive behavior or, you know, bad relationships or sometimes just even the fear of getting away from what has been so known uh, can, be, can be terrifying. And it, it can cause us to not heed instruction or counsel we receive to the contrary, because we, you know, we're, we're sort of captured by fear. Stubbornness, it was very clear as we saw earlier in Psalm 32, David was stubborn and perhaps prideful about not confessing his sin. Okay? And guess what? That stubbornness didn't start at the point where he had some sin to confess. You know, if you recall our reading of 2 Samuel 12, he, he was pretty stubborn about how he went through the whole process. You know, particularly as it went to recall, it, it happened with Uriah. Oh, come up out of the battlefield. Go and, come on, I'll give you some food. Go and, you know, be with your wife. No, 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 I don't want to go. No, come on. God, just. Okay, so there was a certain, this kind of characteristic was, was very clear in him and, and probably some pride at work there. So just because we put ourselves in a position to hear or receive the instruction to get the counsel that we need doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily follow it. We have to be watchful and again community is really helpful in this regard because people can see through our stubbornness. A lot of times we can't see through our own or our pridefulness or our fear. So that's one of the things that it's talking about there. Now if if this is our response, and particularly talking more stubbornness or pride, then the psalmist is telling us that we're no better than a horse or a mule. Now, I, this is, I was trying to get my mind around this. Uh, my wife used to ride, ride horses uh, in Europe, and uh, so one of the things she's done is she's wanted to make sure that every equestrian event in the Olympics has been, has been TiVo'd. And I was joking with somebody the other day, I, you know, I, I just don't see the fascination in it. So I'm sitting watching equestrian events and then having to comfort my wife who's crying because she missed riding so much. And so it's this whole... <laughs> She's going to kill me for telling you this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's actually pretty funny because there is a connection there that she has. And, you know, watching that, it's, it's hard to, on one level, think of a horse you know, with bit and bridle is not having understanding, but there is such subtle craft about the guiding 
of the animal and, and left to its own and you see this particularly in these events like dressage where all these very precise steps and movement the horse and rider must make that in fact you know they get deductions and stuff because the horse wants to you know go or bolt or they'll do jumping and the horse just refuses something about the look of a of a of a barrier they don't want to jump so it sort of gave me some insight even even though see I was doing something good watching the Olympics by the way um, it gave me some insight to this verse <laughs> how's that for justification it's good huh <laughs> um, so if if we're if we're that way if we're stubborn if we're prideful then you know we have to be harnessed with bit and bridle and and really what that means that's kind of figurative language for disciplined we can discipline ourselves at some level have certain spiritual disciplines that help us to try to stay the course people we're accountable with you know certain kinds of relationships or in some cases uh, you know God just has to pull up and discipline us so that's what that's what he's talking about here he's basically saying you know what you got all this available to you God is willing to teach you and instruct you, give you all you need and show you the way you should go but you gotta accept it. Don't be like the horse or the mule. And you know, God doesn't want to harness us or muzzle us. He'd prefer that we heed His instruction of our own will. But you know, if discipline is required, that's what it is. In Psalm 26.3 it says, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Okay? And again, the implication being that uh, sometimes we need to be sort of yanked over into a place that, that uh, is a place we should go. And God will, will use those kinds of things. I've had hard words spoken in my life. You know, which you could say was the rod of discipline being applied to me. And I had a circumstance once where I was actually taken out of a role that I had because I needed to, I needed to uh, get some things together. So, you know, this, this does happen. Questions on that? It's pretty straightforward. It's basically just talking about our, our stubbornness and that that is one way that we can refuse God's instruction. Verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Okay. Now what does he mean, many sorrows shall be to the wicked? You think he's talking there about like really evil and awful people? Well, they probably wouldn't be in that orbit, would they? Who's he talking about here? talking about us okay it's talking about us and we might think that in this day and age using a word like calling members of your family wicked unless you're my 12 year old daughter um, you know don't really compute okay but what he's really talking about by that word try not to think of it in the real horribly negative connotations we do but the wicked here are we talking about the wayward really those who are missing the mark that God has set out there, those who are transgressing or, or sinning. 
And the psalmist, what the psalmist tells us is that many sorrows will accrue to those who are rebellious and unrepentant of their sins. And that's what we're talking about here. Okay, Being wayward like, like David was, David was the example. We remember back there in, in verses 3 and 4, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Okay, so the, you know, I would say those are sorrows, you know, afflictions. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. So those are just a brief description of David's sorrows during this season in which he was wayward. Okay? So what God's telling us is he does not want us to have to undergo that. But they're going to be there. As sure as anything else, as sure as all the other promises, it is interesting in the midst of this very uplifting turn in the psalm that he comes back and just says, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But then, turning it on its head, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Okay? So we're getting that same message. Flip back, yes? These are unnecessary sorrows, right? <clears throat> Mm-hmm. I mean, because there are times in our life when we need to be very kind of mournful. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anything like the word sorrowful. Well, what's the word? It's our, it's our waywardness. It's our innate waywardness of our, of our hearts, right? So yes. Really seeking of God. But I guess these are unnecessary sorrows? I, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not sure, if, um, no sense in arguing semantics. I, Let's say they are sorrows that are directly related to our waywardness, our stubbornness, our unconfessed sin, our unrepentant attitude, okay? So you might even call them consequences. That might be a, a better word, the, you know, more modern for our, us to get our, our head around, okay? Uh, what does the... Uh, well, actually, the NLT does this, renders it the same way. But I think for purposes of the discussion that we have had all along here, I think we're really saying the consequences. Because when you look at it in the spirit of verses 3 and 4, David is really talking about the consequences of his unconfessed sin, his stubbornness, his pridefulness, and his unrepentant heart have brought these sorrows, these consequences upon him. And in, in the sense that they are as painful as sorrowful things, then I think, yes, we, you know, that, that's why the word is used. Because, you know, groaning all day long, your hand was heavy upon me. I mean, you know, he's really, he's really put down here. He's, he, that's the season that he's in. So uh, that, that is what we're describing here. And it again reminds us, it's interesting how the psalm comes back on itself, that God's deliverance is only activated when we confess our sins. And it is the confession of sins, the turning back to God, that is this, he who trusts in the Lord. And all the, all the stuff we've been really emphasizing over the last two weeks, it kind of comes down to that point. Do we trust in the Lord? Because if we don't trust, we're not going to trust that the mercy I've been hitting on and the forgiveness and the wiping clean of the slate is really going to happen. That's why it's trust. From a human perspective, it doesn't compute. 
That's why it's trust. How many of us expect if we really do something pretty bad to somebody that the forgiveness is going to be complete, everything is going to be forgotten, and we're going to have a clean slate, you know, one minute to the next? Anybody? No, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? All right. That's where our, our lack of trust comes from. See, it's hard for us to see God in a different light. And that, in that, I take you all the way back to the beginning. Two weeks ago, when we talked about Merton, right? If our God language and our God image is really small, and God ain't going to be very much bigger, if at all, than what I see around me. So how could He possibly do that? How could I possibly trust that little God who's barely better than the best person I know, maybe, because I can't even think of a language to describe God. How's that God going to actually do what you're promising me here in the psalm? Okay, So they're all interconnected. It's all interconnected. What keeps us from trusting? That's one of the things we have to ask ourselves. What keeps us from trusting God? Particularly when we're in a bad spot. Yeah. That's when we least want to trust, isn't it? When, like David, we want to run and hide. We want to try and find some way to kind of hope that, you know, that sin over there, that thing that's in our life is just going to somehow, it'll, not mention, will be forgotten. Okay? That's what it means. Those who trust in the Lord, we are trusting ourselves to His mercy. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. I like that. Okay. Surrounds us. Hmm? You got your back. You got every side that there is. Your head, your feet, underneath, over, everything. Surrounded. Got us surrounded. His trust, his mercy just totally engulfs us. kind of cocoons us. It's a place of safety. Go back to that other verse, right? Our only safe haven is God. That safety enfolded in God's arms, in His mercy, in His love. We're safe. We're safe. That's a great place to be. And really, Finishing out here with verse 11, or verse 10, David's pretty much brought the, brought the psalm all the way back around. And in, in the sense, looking at it in the, in the context of trusting God, trusting God's mercy, we basically say that what David has told us in Psalm 32, bottom line, that, that term's out of use now, but there, I remember when it was like really popular. Some of you remember that? Hey, bottom line it for me, please, you know. Anyway, bottom line for David here is God can and should be trusted. So that's like, you know, you write it next to Psalm 32. Subtitle, God can and should be trusted. Look at David. All right, so that's, that's there in verse 10. Questions on that? Comments? Okay, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
And the other version says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. And that's just, again, that's just good news. That is good news. That in that state, God would call us righteous. God would call us righteous. That God would say and see us as having pure hearts. I mean, it's even the image, isn't that, isn't that just like something really desirable? The sense that you would be righteous and pure and clean. You know? There's just something about that. And when we're there, it's not just for us. And this is the, one of the, the most amazing things about being in community together. Okay? About being in community together. Because how does he finish? We should bear witness. This should be joyful. We should share it. That's what he means by shout. You know, I, I actually was part of a shouting church before. You ever been in one of those, Skip? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was part of a shouting church. Anyway, you shout for joy. And what that really means is, don't keep it to yourself. God has called you righteous. He's telling you you're pure. Your slate is wiped clean. Don't keep it to yourself. Shout it out. Rejoice. Let people see what a great God you serve. What a great God you're part of His family. Don't keep it to yourself. That's sort of the evangelistic thread of this thing right at the end, you know. So what is David doing by the psalm? He's memorialized this entire thing for the generations, hasn't he? He said, look at my story. Look what I did. Look what God did for me. Look what God will do for you. And when he does, like I did, rejoice. And in your own way, tell others about it. Tell others about it. Because you know what? You know, me and pastors here, we can, we can disagree upon an interpretation of a scripture. You might get a friend that, you know, you're sitting down in a study and they're, you know, they, they think it's this and you think it's that. And, you know, you get your, you know, your dictionary out and your study guides and your commentaries. And, you know, but you know what? Nobody can deny your story. Okay? Nobody can deny your story. Nobody can look you in the face and say, ah, yeah, yeah, what a, what a bunch of baloney. No. You feel what you feel. You are what God has made you to be. And that's, that's the great power of the, quote, gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news. To a lot of people, particularly in this city, who are dying on the vine. There's a lot of depressed and hurting people in our city. And a lot of times they don't need to hear some big exposition of Scripture. They just need to see our love. They need to see our joy. How come you're walking around so happy? You know, what are you, crazy? <laughs> what, is, 
you know, what is the cause for your joy? What is the reason for our joy? And that's the most powerful thing that we have to share. So if you don't ever, you know, become some biblical scholar or, you know, you, you read the scriptures but you don't have any sense that you feel like you can teach other people or direct them in that, you know, so what? Do you have a story? You know stories? You know people who have stories? That's a great tool. It's a great tool. It's a great tool that God has given us. And that's kind of the, the, the word here of this, this entire psalm. It's a, just a great story that encapsulates in, in just, what, 11 verses, pretty much the whole of the gospel, you know. It's not very theoretical, right? Remember we started that first week? We said it wasn't going to be some big theoretical kind of a thing. Did you, did you understand this word or, you know, this, it's kind of complex concepts spiritually or theologically? No. It's just straightforward. Here's my story. Look what happened. This is great. Look what God did. So any other thoughts, questions, comments on, uh, on, on this? On any of the stuff that we covered the, the, the last three weeks? Anybody? Those of you here, everybody tired? Oh, you think so too? I thought it was just me sitting under the lights. <laughs> it's the heat of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay. Um, any other? Really? Come on. Any thoughts? Anything you want to say? No? Okay. Yes. It's a uh, it's a it's a it's a praise shout, isn't it? Skip, Selah? pause. Okay, okay. All right. All right. Stop. Okay. What else? See, they have my back. You know what's that? Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, how good it is to be together in unity, in harmony. Thank you for your words these last three weeks that um, though thousands of years old just resonate in our, in our hearts because they're real. And Lord, I, we just come to you thankfully that you are a God of reality, that you're not a theoretical God or an unfathomable God, that you live and interact and are part of our daily lives. Lord, help us as we go on our way now this evening to remember that you are there through your Son, Jesus, you are available through the Holy Spirit every day, every moment of our lives. Help us to remember that, Lord, when the waters start to rise and temperature starts to go up and things start to get pretty stressful or difficult, Lord. Help us to remember that you are there with us anytime, any place. 
So thank you, Lord, for this time that we can have. I pray your blessing over everyone here. And again, Lord, we just thank you for the ability just to come and just drink deeply of your word. Amen. Thank you, everyone.